Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. And I am your host, Jake Mache. And today, it is post-opening day. So, welcome everybody. Baseball is officially underway. Um, we're going to be talking about opening day and kind of the, the, the first couple of games that we've gotten under our belt and our uh, immediate overreactions to all the action that we've seen thus far. Um, as always, we like to talk about this week in baseball and just as a sort of heads up now that we are in season, I know a lot of our off season work has been some of those longer pods, having guests on, uh, things of that nature. Our in season shows probably will be a bit shorter, um, unless we have like special themes and whatnot that we want to go through. So we want to just, uh, you know, get in, get out, highlight what we thought was the most interesting. Um, let's start with this week. In baseball, kind of overall, um, one thing that I wanted to point out is uh, something that I've been watching very closely, which is collective bargaining agreement for minor leaguers uh, was approved by the minor league population. Ninety nine percent, ninety nine percent, excuse me, uh, voted yes, which is awesome. Uh, it is expected to be um, approved by owners soon. I hadn't seen as of today. Today is Sunday that we're recording. I hadn't seen any news yet but it is being expected that they should approve it with no real um, pushback so that is awesome if you are on twitter if you've been on twitter and seeing some of the numbers floating around about the salary increases um essentially uh from the numbers it's pretty much doubling at every level um which you know if you look at the the raw numbers are still not super significant depending on your own uh tax bracket and your own income i know everybody is um, in their own position, uh, you know, in the audience. So some people might look at what the increase is and think I would love to make that much money because I'm, I'm making even less than that. Definitely understand. But when you just uh, consider where we were just, uh, you know, a year ago with minor leaguers uh, and the stories that we're hearing and where we are now, to me, I think that that is uh, incredible improvement. And uh, I'm, I'm on the side of the minor leaguers. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, absolutely. It's like, it was such a wonderful, um, you know, a wonderful announcement there. And there's been more hope recently. And um, there's been a lot of people that have been advocating for for these guys to, to um, make more livable wages and, and have the same benefits, because the the difference is so insanely stark, you know, between the major leagues and, and one step down, you're talking about, like, these are still some of the most skilled athletes, in the country, you know, it's mm-hmm. like that, just that, that, um, I guess that barrier there is, you know, it, it takes a lot to get to the majors, but those guys right below it, I think deserve a lot more recognition and, and uh, benefits than, than what they, you know, have always gotten. So, um, you know, I spent, I spent a summer working in indie ball and it is, 
it is like a grind, you know, every single day, just as much for, for those guys. And obviously those guys aren't affected by this, but, um, you know, I think one step forward for, for everyone that's just kind of like playing for the love of the game, you know? So, um, you know, I've, I think it's going to be great. And, um, I couldn't be more excited for, for those guys. Yeah, definitely. Kudos. And like you said, kudos to those that have been, uh, at the forefront, um, both reporting on the issues as well as, um, organizing uh, on behalf of the minor leaguers and obviously uh, kudos to the minor leaguers themselves. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to highlight as far as this week in baseball, and this kind of lead is, is going to lead us into our kind of overall overreaction uh, topic, but um, opening day prospects and just kind of, kind of a throwback feel, right. Kind of a throwback to like 90, 80s, 90s, early 2000s feels where like if guys were good and, they they made their case in spring training. They just came up. We, we weren't seeing a ton of the, um, you know, uh, service time manipulation and things of that nature that we've seen kind of in the past decade or so. And it's kind of refreshing to see. So I have here, um, I believe it's 14 um, prospects that uh, are all made the opening day roster for their respective teams and thus became uh, PPI or Pro- prospect promotion incentive eligible. So if you remember our new collective bargaining agreement on the major league side, um, part of that was to try to um, fight back against that service time manipulation that we're seeing. So there's this uh, incentive for teams to promote their prospects. Uh, and as such, I have the names here, Hunter Brown, Cade Cavalli, um, who, even though he is obviously out for the season, is actually eligible. Um, Corbin Carroll, Tristan Cassis, uh, Oscar Colas, Gunnar Henderson, Josh Young, Logan Ohapi, Ryan PPO, uh, Ezekiel Tovar, Miguel Vargas, Anthony Volpe, Ken Waldachuk, and Jordan Walker. Um, now, I I grabbed this from Matt Eady's, um article at Baseball America. He has an article that um, has that list of names and goes a little bit more in detail about um, the incentive and the eligibility, et cetera. I'll have that article linked in the show notes. So shout out to Matt Eady for providing that. But I just thought that that was very cool, very interesting um, just to see, again, kind of that that throwback feeling. And I think something that we all want, not just from the fantasy standpoint, obviously it benefits us, but I think it's just good for baseball, right? When you get these names, you get these storylines, you get um, more different people um, in the game, more different players in the game. It's just another hook. You never know what's going to hook uh, even just a casual viewer and being like, oh, uh, this guy's cool. This guy seems interesting. And boom, now you have, uh, you know, a possible lifelong fan just because they want to follow uh, this young player um, who might play on their favorite team or who might just have kind of an interesting story um, uh, coming up as a prospect. So, um, so far, new changes to the game. I think we're seeing, you know, we we kind of already talked through spring training as far as the pitch clock definitely have seen the impact on that stolen base numbers were super high on opening day i think at the time that i looked at it and it was not yet starting this the late games like the evening games we'd already had like four times as many stolen bases as stole, as opening day 2022 so that seems to be doing this thing uh and now we have the from the collective bargaining agreement this this um promotion incentive that seems to be working out as well. Well, but but Jake, what are your thoughts? I mean, um, a lot of guys there, and obviously we're seeing more being added. Um, but what are your thoughts on the incentive and, and some of the other rule changes and, and early reactions there? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think watching all these guys um, that I don't think we would have had the opportunity to see as much of as early before, um, you know, has been so exciting. And it I mean, helps the teams too. Like, um, you know, Oscar Colas fills a need that they had. And, um, you know, these guys make these teams better, I think, from the beginning. And it's just, I think it just creates more, uh, more entertainment early on for fans and it gets fans familiar with these guys and you don't have to like, um, you know, go in and watch these guys with like horrible camera angles down in like Tuscaloosa or whatever, you know? So, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I taking advantage of it and just enjoying it because for the longest time we didn't have this. So, um, but other world changes, um, I went to a Cardinals game yesterday on Saturday and, it was, we hit this traffic jam um, driving in. It was absolutely brutal. It added like an hour and a half to our drive time. And uh, we got to the stadium in the second inning, sat down and, you know, got a hot dog. I'd never been to Bush Stadium before. It was like a little trip uh, before we moved to the East Coast and um, got a hot dog. And, and the weather was nice and it was just a little chilly, but beautiful day at the ballpark, right? I uh, had my scorebook and taken score and um, you know, the kid two seats over for me is kind of looking over and, and seeing what I'm doing. And it's a beautiful day. And then I look up and it's the ninth inning. <laughs> it <laughs> went so fast, man. Oh my gosh. It was like, and, and but I will give it, like, I didn't really notice in, in, like throughout yeah. the game. I didn't notice the pitch clock. I don't, I don't think there was like a, a violation called, um, but it was like, man, we already got here late and like, wow, it was, I think the game ended up taking two and a half hours about, um, and there was a lot of base runners that it wasn't high scoring, but the blue Jays drew like eight walks in the first like five innings. And, um, but it went quick. And so it's like, wow, I think the difference between, um, watching live and watching on TV is really interesting because on TV, like usually doing something else, I'm doing prepping for this podcast or something. And, um, you know, you don't notice as much and you kind of go to, you're going between games a lot too, right. you know, that's you got true. like MLB TV yeah. and you're that's checking true. all those other things. Yeah. And so you don't really notice as much, but in person, you know, you're getting, you got the sights of the game and it's, it's baseball, it's opening weekend and it's, I'm trying to soak it all in. And it's just right. like, I, I can't grab it fast enough before it goes, you know? So, I mean, I, I wonder, um, and I might, I might be able to take, I would love to take an Orioles game. I haven't been to Camden Yards in so, so long. Um, I would love to to return back, uh, but I, I I wonder if based on on that point whether I'm going to Cam Yards, whether I go to Nationals Park or or anywhere else, um, if that's like the perfect balance in a way, right? Because it's like I think you said something that stuck out to me of it was moving but it wasn't super noticeable and you still had, it wasn't like you were watching a no hitter. It wasn't like you were watching a pitcher dueler. Like there were base runners, there were walks there, you know, that like runs were scored. There actually, there actually was a no hitter for, for like six innings. Jack Flaherty uh, walked seven oh, guys, it was that game. It was that but game. didn't, okay. but didn't give That's up right. a hit. So right. technically, technically right. there was a no hitter, but anyway, yeah, I get your point. Yeah. 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 But it's, so it's just kind of interesting to think about that balance of, uh, yeah, it's it's going to come. I think a lot of people noticed from the TV watching side to jump back to that. Um, what I was hearing, kind of seeing a lot of people notice, like the West Coast games. It was like, oh, Padres game started at you know nine thirty, ten o'clock East Coast time, and it's or I think the opening day games were like nine o'clock. I don't think they were ten o'clock yet. They're like nine nine thirty games. And it's like oh, over at like eleven thirty, like well before midnight. Cool, that's nice. And it's like if, if this nice. is gonna happen, if I can yeah. watch the Mariners and the Padres and and stuff, and like not have to stay up until two in the morning. Yeah, I think like a lot of people are gonna be in on that. So we'll see. 
Absolutely. We'll see you when it's the first Yankees Red Sox uh, Sunday night baseball game. That's when it'll tell. Because those yeah. things are like, those things go into Tuesday. I don't think they actually mm-hmm. actually end until like Tuesday afternoon. Oh so gosh, we'll, those will be the test. It's <laughs> like mm-hmm. how long with those games? Yep. Um, but yeah, so I think it, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, the stolen base thing, I think, is just very fascinating, definitely from the fantasy side, right? Because it just kind of boosts almost everybody. Um, just that little bit to say like, oh, you might be able to add like three to five stolen bases to almost every <laughs> player that you have, a position player that you have, unless they're like incredibly slow um, just because it's, it's there for the taking and why not? Uh, interestingly enough, the biggest, the, the, the second biggest, I guess, change, quote unquote, um, that kind of caused the most gnashing of teeth and whatnot I haven't actually heard people talk about in late spring training into the regular season, which is a shift. And I haven't heard really many people talk about like shift good, shift bad, you know, like we should go back or anything like that. I think that's just, um, interestingly enough, just kind of has returned us to like a natural baseline of what we expect baseball to look like. I'm just like, Oh, that ball was hit in the hole. And, and there's not a, you know, the position player was not able to get there in time to defend it. And like, okay, the end or like this, that was a base hit up the middle because it's a, it's a base hit up the middle. And there weren't like three guys lined up right there to, to field it. So um, I'll be interested. I'm, I'm sure uh, the, the stats numbers folk that are really like crunching into it um, will, will give us some, some data in the, another couple of weeks, but I'll be interested to see, you know, this is a base hit. This number of base hits have fallen that wouldn't have been base hits, you know, last year, et cetera. But uh, yeah, man, I think I am very, you know, um, I'm never eager to like give like owners and the commissioner like credit on making changes and, and like doing things. But this one, they may have kind of mm-hmm. just gotten right all the way around so far. Yeah. We'll see. But like, I, I, uh, I have, um, I guess, a, a rebuttal. Okay. Um, I, I can't disagree with you that the changes themselves are good. They're great um, that we've seen so far. I, I really don't have any issues with them. And um, they all have um, certain things that are that are redeemable about them. None of them are just like fully bad. Um, and Which is rare. That's, that's with, rare for baseball. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but the one thing I think um, I will say is that no one of those, you know, four ish rule changes has the potential to impact the game as much as one specific thing that only made that major league baseball controls that never wants to talk about. Mm. And that's the baseball. Ooh, talk about it, Jake. I, that like that, whatever they do with this baseball and we haven't seen, I don't think enough yet to, to, to really determine what is happening, but which baseball they use, will single-handedly impact the game significantly more than any of those rule changes. Because when you talk about the difference between 2019 and 2022, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, we had, um, you know, we saw three different balls last year. We saw that the Goldie one, Goldilocks one pop up. And, um, you know, there was talk that like Aaron Judge or like maybe some of the Yankees or the primetime baseball games were getting different balls. And, 
you know, it's like we can we can talk about all of the the exit velocities and the and the swinging strike rates and all of these things, and we can get really nitty gritty into the box scores, and and we can talk about the stolen bases and how those will increase by you know ten twenty percent or whatever, and who it's who who's going to take advantage of that rule more, who what hitters are going to take advantage of the shift more, is the opposite field home run back is mm. are those going to start going over the fence? Mm. Um, I think that's more important than any of those things. And I think that we, you know, like I said, we haven't really, um, you know, seen that so far. Um, but like, it's, it, that's kind of like the thing that major league baseball will never address. Mm-hmm. Like I think the, their PR machine is fantastic and they've done an incredible job with these rule changes. And, um, they just had, um, Raul Ibanez on, um, I think it was the white Sox Astros broadcast opening night talking about, you know, the, the rule changes and they have player, you know, advocates that work for the office that people are familiar with. And they, they were doing all of this, all of this to really promote these changes as good. And I can't really disagree with that, but I have this little mini conspiracy theory that they know what they're doing and not addressing the ball. Mm. Um, it's like, we're going to, we're going to little smoke screen, right? Yeah, little, absolutely. Little look over here to pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right. No, absolutely. Okay. And I think they, I think they know that. I think that you could like, I think that whatever they do with the ball, whatever, if they can get their stuff together with that, I think, like that impacts the game more right. in my opinion. Um, and they could say it's a manufacturing issue or, or the, 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 the what are they? It was like the, the realm within, well, it's, it's within a normal technical like error, manufacturing error, whatever. Right. Like these are real people making the balls and right. like, okay, cool. But you, um, owned, but you bought the company. It's like, you, right. it's coming from inside the house though. It's not like yeah. it's a third party anymore. <laughs> right. Like I want to know if JD Martinez and, um, Freddie Freeman are going to be able to hit 15 opposite field homers this year, mm-hmm. or if it's mm-hmm. going to be like three. Um, right. you know, and, um, we're like, it was all, all over Twitter last year. It was just like, every time a, a ball kind of died at the track, it was like, oh, this was the exit velocity. This was the launch angle. This was a similar ball mm-hmm. that was hit. And then you had people coming in like, oh, well, what about the, the backspin or the top spin or the weather and everything? And it was like this huge thing. And, uh, we haven't quite seen that yet. At least I haven't. Um, and it's Not just yet. like, Not it's yet. still, it's there, it's still there. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm going to be really satisfied until we see some consistent results for, at least a full season, maybe a full couple seasons where we have like a consistent run environment until then we get, we are puppets, man. We can do all the things, but like they can, they can change the game like that. And that's a lot of, uh, that'll be interesting to see how that goes this year. Hey, There's my I, little soapbox. <laughs> no, no, no. I go off, man. Like I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you at all. Um, I, ironically enough, I was having a, a text message conversation with my, uh, brother and, uh, my our dad and he was asking me about the O's uh, first couple of games against the Red Sox and he was like oh man they scoring all these runs and what's going on and I was like well first of all like the O's offense is good Red Sox pitching also very bad um, like they're trotting out Corey Kluber as their opening day starter that tells you a good little bit <laughs> um, but but I was like you know as we were kind of talking and, and we're semi-joking about it and I'm talking through the rules and, and stuff like that where where some of that may have helped the Orioles um, but my brother says, well, the balls are juiced like in basketball, <laughs> making a joke, obviously about the scoring, uh, uh, going up in, in the NBA as well. But I was saying, well, you know, on that note, you know, they got like six different baseballs that they play with at any point in time. So like, who knows? Maybe the opening day ball was like, let's get the offense up first. And then they'll switch it out to your point. Right. And now we got to bring the offense back down and. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see, like, if, if baseball can kind of just put their hands on the, you know, their finger on the scale that way. Just be like, well, this is what we want now. 
and now yeah. we want this other outcome and now we want this outcome and so we mm-hmm. just change the baseball and that's yeah. it's it's so elemental right mm-hmm. but it is so in in a lot of ways so very subtle um yeah. so yeah I, and that's and that's yeah. not even taking into account the humidors which they now have mm-hmm. in every ballpark mm-hmm. um which again like that's literally taking a scale and like you know moving it one way or the other and um impacting the um you know the dew point and all that stuff that yeah. is really technical but like you know they we are at their mercy absolutely yeah well on that sunny note let's let's uh, <laughs> let's continue wrapping up uh, at least just looking at um, the week in baseball, we're coming up, like I said, we're recording today on Sunday. So we're coming off of uh, what will be known as the uh, the Trace Thompson game. Uh, three home runs just went off for the Dodgers. Um, I'm sure his fab run is going to look real crazy. Uh, tonight, come, come 959, it's going to be really exciting. Um, you also have, uh, oh, well, Jake, you got one in here about uh, Shintaro Fujinama. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, I was uh, not watching the game, but kind of loosely paying attention because I I picked him up in a for a bench, you know, in a couple kind of deep leagues. And um, and I was just kind of wanting to see how it played out um, before I like put him in in starting lineups. And um, there was actually I I, I lied, I guess there was one league where I had him in the starting lineup because I had no one else to pitch. And I was like, oh, why not? Uh, horrible decision. Um, horrible decision. It went very, very badly. Uh, it, you kind of sound like the Oakland A's themselves. Like, yeah, we yeah. might have anybody else to pitch. We might as well. Play. I might as well toss it out there. You know, what could possibly go wrong? I was like, I mean, I played with fire with Mueller and that worked out. So, like, how how long is how long is Trout and Otani going to be able to kept at right. bay? I, yeah. Anyway. Are you sure that your fantasy team isn't just the Oakland Athletics baseball club? Like, it sounds well, very I have like four, I have like 14 of them. So, there's a little sprinkle across the board. So like, you know, it is, it's, I don't know. I'm, I guess there's some times where I'm going to have to roll with it, but, um, but looking at, uh, looking at uh, Fujinami's kind of like uh, a pitch mix here. He um, actually, I was surprised to see that he had a 35% CSW yesterday. Um, you know, like that's definitely solid. Um, he had good velo on his fastball. He hit 99.6. That was his max. Uh, his he averaged 97.9. Um, and I don't have the movement on it here. Um, I was trying to find it right before the show, but it doesn't look like I usually go to picture list for that. It doesn't look like it updated uh, between today and yesterday. But um, by the time you're listening to this, go look at picture list and see uh, how his how his pitches, how his movement looked. And, um, you know, but he got a 44 uh, percent whiff rate on that fastball. Um, and it, you know, like starting with Velo, love it. Um, and let's see here what else we got the. He threw a slider, a splitter, and then a couple sweepers too. Um, the slider also is a power slider, averaged 85.7, um, which you love to see. There's been some research um, that shows that sliders above like 85 are like really hard to be bad. And um, so that's good. And then you had the the splitter. Um, you know, I, like I said, I didn't watch the start, so I, I can't sit here and say like, oh, it was he got unlucky or whatever. And it was it was one inning where just the wheels fell off. And um, he had a couple clean ones before that. Do you have up how many walks he had? Um, no, I actually I'm looking I at. Didn't, I didn't pay attention to this. this Let game me either. bring up the box score real quick. Saturday. And, and the reason why why you're looking at that, the reason why I bring it up is I I, I don't think everything just outlined. I think that this is going to be actually pretty commonplace. The stuff is there. Like anybody who's watched him, even going uh back to before he came um to the U.S. Like the the stuff is never what's in question. It's the command. It's going to be 
this, and this is why I was kind of making jokes about the A's, is just going to be this inconsistency where you wonder, and I've had this conversation in a couple of different places online, just just stick them in the bullpen. Just make them your, your, your high leverage guy, have them pitch for an inning, maybe two tops. And a lot of the inconsistency, yes, it will still, it will still blow a save. If you put him in a save situation, he'll still walk uh, guys here, or there, but it, you, you mitigate so much of that by putting him in a situation where he's just, th- he's, he's topping out at his hardest from the get go. He can throw that nasty splitter as much, pretty much as much as he wants to, you know, assuming men are on base and just let him go. But like you're trying to stretch him out to go five, six, you know, innings and two and three times through the order. And there's going to be days just like we saw in spring training. There's going to be days where it works out for you. And then there's going to be days where it gets, like you said, it's just one inning wheels fall off and it gets real ugly real fast. So um, if you have Fujinami or if you've been interested uh, about Fujinami, I would say he's probably going to be a, um, not necessarily a streamer, but definitely a matchup play. Like if you have him in Dynasty, I will look at the matchup. If he's playing, uh, you know, if he's will be starting against uh, a Pittsburgh or uh, against, uh, you know, I don't know who's who's somebody in the in the AL. Um, Detroit. Detroit. There we go. Man, that's no. Yeah, those are the teams that I'm like. Okay, I'm actually even the I would actually. Um, no, I'm not going to stretch that. <laughs> I was going to say Tampa. I was going to say Tampa. Um, just because like they don't have a lot of thumpers, but like Rosarina can get high. They can put up some runs in some different ways. Um, even if it's not just by the long ball, but um, yeah, man, it's just I, I'm just I would honestly, hey, I, I avoided him for this reason, but I would let him sit until the A's come to their senses, hopefully, and put him in the bullpen, and then I'm then I'm interested. Like now, I'm I'm revved up for him. But uh, yeah, unless he's getting like really favorable matchups, it's just there's it's too much risk. It's too much volatility in his profile for me. So yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I think I'm, I'm still kind of holding out hope a little bit more just because like the stuff has looked really good. Um, you know, and so I so he had three walks. Um, the first first two innings were great. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, first two one two three innings, four strikeouts. Yeah, four strikeouts in two innings. Didn't walk anyone, and then the third was a it was a leadoff walk, and then um, you know gave up some hits, walked a couple more, and it was it all went went south. So, um, you know, it's like in looking at his um, his kind of like results here again. I think part of the issue too is that he wasn't able to get swings outside of the zone. Um, mm guys were laying off. It looked like they were laying off that um, they didn't, he didn't swing at all out. And no one swung outside of the zone on a slider at all. No one swung outside of the zone on his, well, one out of uh, one or two people. I can't do the math right now. Swung outside the zone on his fastball. It was like 11% rate on the fastball. Um, And then a 38% O swing on the splitter. Um, So like splitter looked good, you know, on the, on getting those swings, but nothing else did. It was just like, if you don't swing at the splitter, um, which also had a 43% zone rate. So it's like you don't swing at the splitter if you, if you can get it in the zone out, whatever, like that's a 50-50 right. shot. Um, and then swing in the zone when he has on, to throw yeah, the fastball Yeah, on everything there. else. And, right. And then wait for he put, yeah. So it'll be interesting. I mean, if the book is out kind of that early on him, and this is a guy that, again, he just came to the U.S., and if the book is already kind of out like that, I don't, there's some serious adjustments that have to be made um, 
or else I can see more of this type of start versus some of the better starts that we saw from him in spring training. But I don't know. That's uh that's Fujinami. I mean, I, I it, it's it'll be interesting to watch if nothing else. Uh, and and speaking of uh, folks making their debut coming uh, to the U.S. Um, today will be the debut of Kodai Singa. Um, for the Mets and with the way the Mets season already looks, <laughs> he could be playing an even more important part than what we originally thought. Um, as now they have Verlander going to um the IL and and it's already Met Met season is already well underway. It's it's, it's inter- it would be interesting to watch. But uh thing will be somebody to watch. So by the time you hear this, we'll have some numbers from uh from him. And just to wrap up here, uh, before we go to our first break, uh James Outman just continuing on. Um, you know, it's it's so funny because <laughs> a lot of people are like, okay, you know, Dodgers have been leading the, the NL West for a while. Padres, they got to figure out a way to get over that hump. They got a, a just a killer foursome now, right? They got they got Xander, they got Soto, they got Machado. Tatis is going to be, um, you know, coming back. Man, like that four is is going to be significant. And look at the Dodgers now, like. They got, you know, who's going to be playing shortstop for him, right? At one point in time, we thought it was going to be Jacob Amaya before they trade him for Miguel Rojas, who essentially is like Jacob Amaya like 12 years from now, which is just weird. But it's just, you know, it's just like, who's going to be their shortstop? Lux gets hurt because um, he looked like he was going to play, a, a, you know, a significant um, part in their in their lineup. Who's going to be in the outfield? They got rid of Bellinger, who, I mean, obviously wasn't being additive to their team the last couple of seasons anyway. But then Trace Thompson goes off. <laughs> James Altman picks up where he's, he left off most of, you know, last year once they had him up. Uh, the Dodgers just going, you know, we talk about the Mets going to Mets and the, the Dodgers going to Dodgers. they just going to fi- figure out a way to get these guys going. Um, we were hearing whispers that they had figured out uh, – Jason Hayward swing. We have yet to see like if that's true or not, but it was just like, oh yeah, they fixed Jason Hayward too. He's going to be around. And it's just, how does this happen? How does this, what is going on here? <laughs> it's, 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 I'm sure if you're a, a non-Dodgers fan, if you're like a Giants fan or a Padres fan, it is not fun to watch. But as somebody who has no real skin in that division, it is amazing to just watch this team figure it out um, and, and make it work. I mean, you had Kershaw going last night and looking like vintage Kershaw. <laughs> it's just like it, it. It reminds me of in other sports. Thinking about the the Dodgers and the Padres specifically, it reminds me of how in other sports that tends to be the determination between a team that actually can make it to the championship and a team that just like man, they were good but just not good enough. And it's like there's always that one team that you got to get through and get past. And then everything else would line up. Like, I rooted for the Ravens for some time. It was always the Patriots. It was the Steelers and the Patriots, right? And it was like, once they finally were able to beat the Patriots, it was like, cool, Super Bowl win, right? Um, we've seen it in basketball. I mean, if you watched uh, The Last Dance, obviously, you know, or know anything about, uh, you know, NBA history at all, you know about the Bulls needing to get past the Pistons, you know about, um, you know, that was the thing in with the Orlando Magic. They couldn't get past um, – they got past the Bulls once, but they couldn't get past uh, teams like the Rockets, et cetera. So it's just, there's always a team, right? And in baseball, it's actually funny because I can't remember. I mean, I guess, um, obviously we know we have like Yankees, Red Sox uh, uh, um, rivalry, excuse me, which is kind of its own thing. 
But I mean, I can't really remember the last time there was a a team that continued like continuously was the class in that division or even in the league. And another team was always up and coming, just couldn't get past them. And now it seems like the last few years, that's what the Dodgers have been to the Padres specifically. And this year seemed like they're right for the taking and maybe not. <laughs> like, um, So yeah, James Outman, uh, he's another one that his fab run this, this Sunday is going to be really interesting to watch. Cause I'm sure it's going to be some crazy bids going on him. Uh, and then lastly, we had kind of one of our um, first major injuries um, that kind of impacts from a dynasty and a prospect um, side. So with the Brewers, we had talked about um, Bryce Terang last episode or episode before last. He made the team, as we kind of um, assumed, at second. Luis Urias is now out six to eight weeks with a hamstring, and I've heard it's probably going to be closer to the eight weeks. So he's out that opens up moving guys around somebody needs to cover third and now they have open roster spot and joey weimer gets the promotion so he actually made his major league debut um yesterday i believe that was his debut i don't think he debuted last year right yeah um so he made his major league debut um yesterday and again you're talking about six to eight weeks a good chunk of time you know good couple of months that he's going to be on the roster and you know, getting some time in. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if you don't already know about Joey Wimmer, look him up. He had an amazing 2021 that really put him on the radar. Um, uh, you know, uh, another guy that Fab Run is, is going to be going crazy because he's going to have the opportunity. He has the power and speed combo. Uh, if I'm in the average league, I'm probably not as interested just because a rookie um, and batting average is, is not really his strong suit. But, you know, OBP points, that sort of thing. Like he, he could bring some, you know, some joy to your team if you can snag him off wires, or even if you can swing a trade for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was interesting to say the Brewers, um, that like that how fast it could change, you know, with an injury because mm-hmm. you know he didn't win the job out of camp, and then they immediately needed him, and he right. missed just like one game. Right. Um, and I think and it's, so, it's I think it's telling that it was him and not Sal Freela because they both kind of yeah. seemed like one two you know one a one b as far as the next promotion to happen. Yeah, um, I feel like uh, I feel like Freelick maybe is more of the same for kind of like how their roster is right now. Mm. Um, I feel like Weimer kind of adds the the pop that uh, they might kind of need, especially in the outfield because they have like what Yelich, Winker, uh, Garrett Mitchell is Garrett Mitchell and Sale Freelick yeah. are very similar profiles, yeah. you know. And so I think Weimer kind of offers some pop um, that you know Freelick that Freelick doesn't, and yeah, so I think that's, that's maybe true. something that they were looking for there. But yeah, I wasn't. Uh, to be honest, I was not expecting Weimer to make that quick of a of a jump up there. Um, even if you know an injury or something happened, I you know figured he had some more time. But um, but yeah, and we. I mean, I just talked about him on the podcast like two weeks ago, where I traded him for Torkelson, um, who we'll talk about a little bit later. So, um, but yeah, it's it'll it'll be interesting to see how his uh, you know how his his contact rates and strikeout rates kind of go over the the first few months but if you're if you know you're watching him i think that's a big thing to look at is you know how often he's able to make contact with the ball and that's i think will be a good key to jump on him in in redraft leagues but he's not someone who i'm like really banking on um like you said in the in the redraft yeah um with that we're going to take a break and then come back with our kind of official 
um, some of our official overreactions, things that we were picking up on the first couple of uh, days of baseball in 2023. Stay with us after the jump. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we're back. So, like I said, we have a, a few different um, sort of overreactions that we have outlined here. Um, the first one, and, and this is, again, my um, Orioles homerism fandom showing up, but, like, Adley Rushman um, showed out opening day. Uh, five for five, four RBIs, home run, um, just a tremendous stat line, and then continued to look good in, in the next couple of games. Uh, so the way I pose it is just – is it possible that he has an MVP season in his second year? Um, we kind of talked about it in uh, one of the, the previous offseason um, pods as far as him and Julio Rodriguez and that rookie of the year. So the narrative, um, you know, if Adley is up a couple months earlier, if the Orioles make the playoffs, maybe he can grab that from Julio. But Julio was there, was putting up the numbers, and obviously helped lead the Mariners to, to break that um, playoff slump. Um you know, year two, is he reliant on some of the same, you know, narrative things? Does he need to lead the Orioles to the playoffs in order to be considered in uh, MVP uh, stature? Or is it just good enough that, you know, as a catcher especially, that he just puts up some really great offensive numbers and that just in of itself will boost him? Um, but, I mean, he's I have a- to a great start. Yeah, I have. So I have Buster Posey's MVP season stats pulled up. Oh yeah, um, and I just yeah, wanna, I, I wanna go through here because that was that was ten years ago, over ten years ago now. Um, so let's see. I think he was the last catcher to win it, right? 
Like, I don't think we had anyone. And before that, I mean, it was probably at least another 10, 15 years. So, so let's look at this season because this is the most recent, most kind of like prevalent um, MVP catcher season that we've seen. Um, He had 24 homers, which is also a career high for him. Um, 103 RBI, 78 runs scored, a 336 batting average, Hmm. and a 957 OPS with a 171 OPS plus. Hmm. Do you think that those numbers are something that Adley could reach? I mean, the average, obviously, I'm going to just say no, just because like that's absurd average in today's game, just in general, right? And we just talked about baseball and everything like that. Like that's absurd. Um, but I mean, home runs, yeah. 24, I think that's feasible. I mean, how many did he have last year in, in not, even full, not even the full season? Uh, I have it pulled up here. He had uh, 13. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think 24 is, is feasible for him. Um, the RBI, I mean, runs RBI, that's always kind of, um, you know, dependent, even though he is batting in a much better lineup. Um, you know, now yeah. that and that kind of goes to like the, the, the team impact that you were just talking right. about, you know, right. Um, that's kind of like taking it. The, the exact numbers don't matter. I think as much as, um, kind of the team performance there. Right. right. And then I wonder, um, I don't know if you have for Posey, but do you have what his defensive war is? Cause I imagine his war, his overall war, a lot of it was based on his defense. I mean, it's good numbers, but I imagine a lot of it was based on defense as well. Yeah, let me see. I'm on his uh, BREF page. War, but is it? It was a it was a seven point six total war. Mm-hmm. But I don't. Uh, oh, D War. D War was actually only point eight for oh, Posey that year. Yeah. Interesting. Uh huh. Interesting. Okay. So well, maybe I'm off. Um, because I was gonna say like Ali's definitely a a good defensive catcher. Like, there's no question there. I assumed wrongly, obviously, that Posey would have like pretty high. D war number and that's where i was like i don't know if if rushman can do that but i mean 0.8 yeah i think he can do that uh so yeah i mean if that's our last sort of benchmark of uh catcher as mvp i think he can make a run at those numbers let me put it that way yeah. now what that does in the in the grand scheme of things when you have aaron judge and you have jose ramirez is always kind of hanging around when you have um Julio Rodriguez going into his year two as well. You know, is that enough? I don't know, but it'll be, that's interesting though. Yeah. Adley actually had 1.5 D war last year in yeah, his yeah. 470. I mean, play appearances don't matter there, but the 113 games. Um, that's surprising. I don't think I would have thought as of Adley as a super small sample. I mean, we're not making any right. buster posts. Right, one of the best catchers, but like, yeah. you know, like he can, he can hang and it's potentially better defensively. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, overall war for Adley last year was 5.2. Okay. That's, that's uh, also surprising. I think for me. Um, so, okay. You're, you're sounding a little less crazy, just a little bit. Okay. A little bit. <laughs> well, that's, always, that's always something when I sound less crazy. Um, so yeah, I mean, something to, to, you know, very early, very early Adley Rushman MVP watch. I, again, I just think, uh, especially because of the position and the rarity, like you were saying, it's been 10 years since we had a, a catcher win MVP. And I mean, if you go back to like the Pudge Rodriguez years of like him winning MVP, et cetera, um, it's, it's, it's that rare combination, right. Of putting up tremendous offensive numbers from a position that is obviously very physically taxing, but then also being able to um, represent well defensively. And I wonder because, you know, 
pitch framing is still a thing, even though it's not as quantifiable, I think, for MVP voters um, as obviously these other numbers. And now with what we assume is going to be an increase in stolen bases, you know, throwing out base runners becomes kind of a thing again, right? It, it hasn't really been a thing for the last 10 years or so because um, stolen bases have, have been on on the downswing. So if you give kind of more opportunities to, to show off that you have a strong arm and you're accurate with that, yeah, it would be, I just think it would be fascinating to watch. I think, you know, obviously I named some guys you can't rule out, but I think if he can stay in that mix, um, the being a catcher, let alone what Baltimore does as a team, I think mm-hmm. that that could be an added boost. So yeah. Yeah. And looking, I went and looked at actually the, the 2012 MVP voting for the National League to see kind of like what seasons he was up against. Ryan Braun that year was insane. Like, I think you could say that he had better numbers than Posey. He posted uh, 41 homers and 30 stolen bases. He went 40-30 uh, and hit 319 with a 987 OPS and 108 runs and 112 RBI. Um, that, that's a better statistical line. You know, um, didn't have as much war. He was a 6.9 war compared to Posey's Posey 7.6. So I think that kind of speaks to your point of like, I think a catcher, um, if if we see one of the like all-time catcher seasons, potentially, you know, I think it's, you have to kind of like get to a certain point. Um, but that could be a little bonus, you know, and if he's, if he's like leading the pitching staff, if, you know, if the, if the team is, does really well. And if, um, you know, it's, man, that's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. See, you thought I was wild for putting that on there, but it's not as crazy as you thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd still say the the probability is low, but like we are talking about some of the. I mean, Adley's one of the um, most anticipated like prospects, you know, incoming yeah. since since Posey probably. So for catchers, so it's not impossible. And Posey's also Posey. Just to make another comparison here, Posey's MVP season came early in his career. So there you go. There you go. Just saying, <laughs> not saying, just saying. Um, so number two, so we go from the highs of, of Allie Rushman to the lows of, uh, looking like the same old Josiah Gray. I, I if you saw me on Twitter, I was like, I wasn't chest dumping. I, I try to be pretty like well-rounded, but I was very excited when I saw the stats from, um, Gray spring training were making the rounds as we were finishing up spring training going into the start of the regular season and he had a a great stat line and the thing that a lot of people were pointing out was the swing and miss stuff that he was showing off with getting away from the four-seam fastball showing a lot more of um, the slider which has always been his best um, overall pitch since he's been majors at least and showing off a new cut, a uh, new cutter that he was getting some favorable outcomes with as well. And so I was just kind of recirculating the fact that yeah, I wrote a little going deep article for a site called Pitcherless. You may have heard of them that just kind of talked about here's some ways that Josiah Gray might be able to tweak his pitch mix, including throwing the slider more, getting off the four seamer. I did not see a, a cutter in his future, but hey, I'll take it. And so, hey, Josiah Gray, start on Saturday against the Atlanta Braves. Let's see what's happening. First two batters, two home runs. Three home runs given up overall. Here we go again. Um, So I was talking about this with Jake off mic, and I was trying to save it for the pod because I started getting getting really animated. But um, the first first home run, Ronald uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., three sliders. So, hey, 
off to a good start. Three sliders, um, one swing and strike, one call strike, two really good locations. Got outside corner, coming back inside corner. Third one, got a little too much of the plate, but not a terrible pitch, in my opinion. Great swing if you look at the actual um, highlight. Great swing by Acuna, and I mean, he's Ronald Acuna Jr. for a reason. Like, he's really good. The next uh, at-bat is against Matt Olson. This was a bad at-bat, and, and to me, it almost looked like the Acuna Jr. outcome of that home run made Gray just ditch everything that he had been working on because what we see with Olsen, two straight four-seam fastballs that are nowhere near the zone, and then the cutter that's pretty much right down the middle. And Olsen does what Olsen does with pitches that are right down the middle. And then it was just kind of like we're right back in 2022 with Josiah Gray. Like all of that sort of good work just sort of went out the the window. Again, this is overreactions. It's one start. Who knows what he, you know, learns and, and continues to improve and change. But it was just um kind of deflating to see somebody that I really did and somebody that I don't have rostered um in my home league. I think I, I grabbed him in one league that I'm in maybe a redraft i can't remember but just somebody just i had high hopes for of just like hey it seems like maybe he is figuring it out and making the uh, requisite changes and you know if his confidence was shaken by that uh it's unfortunate because again the acuna jr at bat is exactly what we wanted just not the outcome but slider 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 all in good to great locations you know you tip your hat to the man. There's a reason why he's a perennial MVP candidate when he's healthy. Uh, but yeah, I, I I just don't, I hope that he's not just going to back off of everything now because of that. Yeah. Because like what you were saying with, uh, you know, kind of using the four seam less and, and the slider more, and then he introduced the cutter, um, you know, overall looking at the, his pitch counts, um, he did kind of do that. He had a 31% usage on the curve, 25 on the slider, mm-hmm. 20 on the cutter. And then the fourth most used pitch was the forcing fastball at 16% of his total pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did kind of uh, flip that around. I think I have it pulled up what he did last year for comparison. Yeah, I mean, last year, he was 40% four-seamer. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I, I remember him from my research for the article was in that 40, 41%. So, I mean, so uh, yeah, that's and I appreciate you pointing that out, Jake. I mean, that is overall a, a good note. Um, but just, I, I, I guess for me, it's just seeing that's kind of the, the cumulative and to me just to see from at bat to bat, like for him to go immediately into, all right, fastball. And again, though, like the fastballs, if you look at, if you, if you didn't watch the game, if you pull up on Savant, the fastballs weren't even close. It was like one high and away, the other one completely misses. And then, uh, yeah, then it's just like cutter down the middle. He's in a two Oh count cutter down the middle. Um, so that that's why I'm like, oh, this seems like, a, all right, forget what I was experimenting with. Forget that gameplay. Let me just go back to throwing fastballs like I know, trying to trying to grab a strike. Now I'm in a 2-0 count. Let me throw this cutter just to get something, and then you get a home run. And then uh, the third home run, I didn't even look to see um, who the third home run was, was given up to. But, uh, yeah, Josiah Gray, I mean, again, one start. Oh, maybe this is a, a, a blip on the radar and, you know, we look at this at the end of the season as just like, oh, you know, it just took him a minute and uh, and look at him now. But like I said, a little discouraging to, to see uh, after what he was doing in spring training. 
Yeah. Uh, and we'll have to wait. I think we'll have to wait a little longer to see kind of his next. Because mm. uh, I was looking at it, I was like, I wonder if he's going to stick with this in his next art, and we'll maybe see maybe like the chase rate or the swing strike rate go up or something because those are both really bad. Uh, but then I looked at his next art is in Colorado. Mm. So that's going to suck. Um, and then after that, he's at uh, the Angels if he continues on the on the trajectory. So maybe maybe we could see some more in the Angels game, but that Rockies one's going to be a complete throwaway. So, um, yeah. Oh, the second one was to Olsen as well. He gave up two home runs to Olsen. Um, and the Braves are a tough pull. You know, I mean, they are. They are. Let, let's, yeah. let's tell the truth about it. That is a, that is a rough lineup. Um to have to go through uh for you know for a reason but yeah you know it was i think you know what it was i'll I'll be honest it was tough it made it tougher because a lot of um what i saw online was just like oh josiah gray is giving up home runs like surprise surprise it's like but no he was making changes guys like you don't understand him okay (laughs) you don't understand him like i understand him okay he was trying to be better um, but no, you're right. The the Braves are a tough lineup to try to um, get through, and you know you're not getting any, much of any run support uh, from that Nationals lineup because that thing is nasty. And you're going against Spencer Strider, so it got nastier. No, the conversely, talking about picking picking things up right where they left off. Josiah Gray giving up home runs. Spencer Strider just getting strikeouts, right? Like he was just like, oh yeah, it's like 2022 never ended. Uh, did have the three walks I just saw, but um, but nine strikeouts. Um you know, over 30% uh, CSW. And it was just like, yeah, uh, we're, more things change, more things stay the same. So uh, that's a nice thing to see with Spencer Strider, um, especially going through, like I said, a Nationals lineup that really shouldn't pose much threat to really anybody. So um, so I, I, another overreaction that we have here, uh, going to the Bronx, Anthony Volpe, I've gotten that confirmed, Volpe, uh, is he going to challenge for AL Rookie of the Year? We didn't really talk about him in, in our Rookie of the Year discussion when we were making our predictions. Um, we weren't too sure if he was going to make the team uh, for opening day at least, and and he did. Um, got a stolen base, made his debut in the Bronx. They gave him like standing ovation. It's a whole you know, it's a whole thing in New York. But do we think like maybe he um, again? He's he's got. The Yankees mythos on his side. When we think about narrative. Do we think that he could maybe circumvent some of our picks and and put up the numbers needed um, to make his case for Rookie of the Year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually think it's possible. I mean, I made the case a couple episodes ago for him to be the, you know, the number one shortstop prospect over Ellie De La Cruz. So, I mean, um, you know, the fact that he made the opening day roster and is going to have a shot. Um, you know, playing every day, he has started each of the first three games for the Yankees at shortstop, um, batting ninth right now. So that might tap some of his kind of like, um, you know, run creation abilities there. But, um, but like you said, he already stole a base and, um, if he's, and he's playing in the lineup each day. And so, um, yeah, I absolutely think that he could challenge, uh, my pick for, for rookie of the year gunner, um, yours for Jung, you know, I mean like young, you know, I think that absolutely he could. He has, you know, the talent, and he was one that you know no one really expected. I, I think from the from the get go um, this off season to to make it, and then he proved a lot of people wrong and made the roster out of the spring. And the Yankees decided to not do something that's stereotypical of the Yankees and and ran with them. So um, I think it would be foolish to bet against him at fully at this point. You know, yeah, he's got a couple of stolen bases thus far. Um... Like you said, bad out of nine holes, so no no real 
run creation uh um opportunities yet no home runs no rbi uh but yeah um i was trying to find just his actual where is he at to oh this is breaking down this is breaking down off pitches but um but yeah i think it's it'll also be interesting obviously to watch him uh in the field uh, another area that um while maybe not statistically as relevant um to mvp voters you know as far as being able to look at a a, a particular stat it, that resonates with mp mvp voters i think just being as shortstop for the yankees we all know what that means and um you know looking you know defensively uh of you know at par i guess is is what i'm going for you know he doesn't necessarily have to make a ton of superstar plays but just looking like he belongs for like a better word um that can go a long way i think it'll yeah it'll be interesting and in either way right like if he has you know typical rookie slumps they already have him in the nine hole um do they just let him play through it do they drop him do they uh, you know, do they have him um, on the bench a little bit more often? Do they, you know, uh, send him down, right, and let him get his head straight that way? So it would just be kind of interesting to watch how the Yankees handle his development now because they made – they've sort of kind of made the commitment. They kind of tipped their hand already by having them start uh, with them on opening day and having them start, like you said, these three games. So there's a certain level of investment that it looks like they have, and now it'll be interesting to watch how they – how they sort of handle that going forward. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's Volpe. What we're going to do is take another quick break. We're going to come back with three more sort of overreactions that we have uh, before we sign off for the day. So stick with us after this break. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. 
So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. And we are back. Um, so again, we have a handful more um, overreactions, if you will, that we want to talk through. I'm actually going to I'm going to flip this from the outline and throw it to you, Jake, because you have uh, a guy we mentioned earlier in the pod, um, Oscar Colas, that you want to talk about. Yeah, I think um, I am starting to be a believer in Colas. I think I'm, I'm usually slow to join the hype trains on anyone on the White Sox because I am, I think, overcautious about my own bias there. Um, but he has... Um, you know, he's played against righties. The it kind of makes me nervous that he didn't play an opening day against the, the left-handed, uh, left-handed starter there. Um, you know, but he's played in the three games six, since then against righties and he has hit the ball pretty hard. Um, so I, I think that Colas is going to be someone who has the shot to move up into like the, the top half of this lineup. I think, I think maybe we'll give him, uh, two months we'll do a one-third of the season i think by within two months i think he'll be hitting in the top five um pretty consistently maybe between Eloy and moncada um you know and i think that his his as he kind of like moves up in the lineup that just like improves his his overall output um and i think just gives him a shot to be a a better hitter um you know and, and it deepens that, that that lineup too for the for the Sox. and so i think that you know they're going to let him eat and I think that he is, you know, maybe in the, maybe in the five spot in the, of a playoff game this year. I think that'd be my bold. That'd be my, my overreaction is like, okay, like we've seen him play. I've seen, I've watched him um, on the team. He made the team. Didn't think that was going to happen. And now I'm like, all right, like let's go. Put, you him, know? put him in the heart of the order. Um, yeah. I, I will say when I saw that he um, made the team, but he wasn't going to start opening day, um, and it looked like they were, you know, semi platooning him because of the the lefty starter. Actually, that actually made me feel more comfortable um, in an interesting way because to me it showed, it indicated. Let me not say showed. It indicated the possibility that they understood the sort of the long game that it's it's going to. He's still a rookie, right? It's still going to be some ups and downs. So like, why even set him up? It's already opening day. It's already going to be a lot of pump and circumstance. You're playing in Houston, right? So it's, they're going, they're getting their rings and there's all that sort of stuff. And it's going it, to that series kind of had a playoffy vibe, off jump. Probably one of the the more playoff vibe um, series that we had to to start the the season off. Um, like, hey, just let them let them take a day, right? Just let them take a day. Get him in against a righty. And then, like you said, he's smoking the ball like he normally does. Uh, so if they're doing a bit of that, especially early on of, hey, here's a lefty, take the day off. Okay, put him back out against righties. As long as we're not seeing it in the extreme of like we're pinch hitting for him late in the game because they're bringing in a lefty or, um, you know, we start to see they're, they're never playing him against a left-handed hitter like ever. Like as long as we're not seeing like those sort of extreme sort of uh, platooning situations, then it actually, like I say, kind of encourages me in a way that they're right. invested in Colas in the long term of of being the type of hitter that he could be. Um, especially like knowing that, that they're still a playoff, you know, team. They still see themselves yeah. at least as a playoff caliber team. Um, they're trying to do that balance that's so hard for that type of team where, you know, we want to, we think our 
championship window still open, so we want to make a run at that. But we have a young guy that we also think will be, play an important part in our future that we need to make sure is being well-maintained as well. And many teams fail at balancing that. It's either like, well, we got this young guy, screw it, we're just going to sell everything for parts and just, you know, bolster him. But then he doesn't have anybody around him, right? He has no protection in the lineup or he has no no veteran presence or anything like that. Or they say, hey, screw the young guy. He's going to have to sit on the bench because we got to make this run at getting this ring. And if especially if you don't get that ring, then it's like, well, we didn't achieve that goal and this guy hasn't gotten the experience that he really needed. So to see that the White Sox are at least trying to thread that needle early on, like I said, is it's encouraging to me. Interesting. I like that spin on it. Absolutely. Um, and I just went and looked at his his splits from last year for, for righties versus lefties. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, uh, fascinating thing. He's his almost all of his power came against righties, 20 homers versus three. Um, and well, let's see, the plate appearances was four eleven for righties and one fifteen for lefties. Um, still a, a really good big power split there. But the batting average I was gonna say is three, the average he hit 362. 362 against lefties last so, year. So I'm going to speculate right now, and I didn't pay a ton of attention to Carlos in the minor leagues as far as like watching his games. I, I paid attention, obviously, to what he was doing, but I didn't get a chance to like watch a lot of his games. But I wonder um, if there's a swing difference that happens between lefties and righties. Because especially knowing that Carlos is not that – I mean, I hate to say it, but like he's not that good of a hitter like average-wise. That's not his game. So I right. wonder if he's – not even selling out for power, but I wonder if, if against righties, he's more in his natural mechanics. Yeah, I'm going to let and, it eat. Yeah. And then for, yeah, and then for lefties, he's like breaking everything down like on the mic. Like, I'm just contact. I'm not even trying yeah. to like lift. I, I would be fascinated if I could like, if that information was a little bit more available to see like launch angle, et cetera. Um, yeah. And I, we were on this pod. Yeah. Like the first, I think it was maybe the first episode we did. And we were talking about like, oh, Oscar Colas. Yeah. A 30 homer, 300 hitter. Yeah. Now, now, let, now let me, let me ask you this. <laughs> if, if that is the case, if he does go, uh, you know, power against righties and lefties, he just chokes up and becomes a slap hitter. I, right. That's an extreme, right? But like, I mean, that like, uh, Maybe that helps his batting average, and okay. And major league lefties are a heck of a lot different. You got yeah, like, yeah, you know, I mean, you've like got some different spots, you know. But like, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a. I don't know. You think of the switch hitters who usually do that, right? Like one right. side of the plate, they're right. more of a contact guy. The other side, they're more like a, you know. Yeah. Um, but like interesting because he seems to have. I don't. It's hard to say that that's luck. Like. Yeah. In that big of a difference, it's like so. Maybe he does have a different approach against lefties. Um, he. Let's see. What is this? Let me figure figure out the strikeout rate. Do you have something else to say about him? Let me see what the strikeout rate was. Yeah. While you while you do some some mathematics there, while you do the arithmetic. Um. Yeah. I, I would just say that with Colas, um, you know, especially remembering also he's not the typical rookie, right? So Cuban, um, had played on Cuban national team, um, so he has some pro experience in general. It's not like he's a, a prep baller or a guy coming from college. So even in that standpoint, there may have been some uh, approach or mechanical things that he made, even though he's, what, 24. So you're still relatively young, but just being able to have had that early pro experience where that's maybe something that he picked up of just like, hey, lefty comes in. I know how they're going to try to get me out. They're not going to let me get into my power. That's fine. I'm, you know, I am going to go the other way. I am going to get more line drive oriented versus trying to lift the ball. 
and I think it would be fascinating to see how that plays in the major leagues. To your point about the 330 home run thing, and I remember that conversation uh, as, uh, distinctly, I still say yes. Like overall, in, in the aggregate, like, no, he's not going to get to that average. And if yeah. he gets to that average again, I mean, it's just what you read. Like if he were to get to that average, he's not getting to 30 home runs. But I do think it is super fascinating if you have, you know, what I thought was an Oscar Colas that's like 246 and 30 home runs. If you can get an Oscar Colas that's a 267 or a 272 and 30 home runs, that's hype. Like that's that's amazing. That would be yep. amazing to have. Um, and I think, you know, White Sox fans and the White Sox team would gladly take that in a heartbeat. Um, and, and, you know, for 10 years to come, right? Like, if, if that's what we're talking about, um, even if that does mean that on the, you know, uh, coming in late against a lefty, like, maybe he's not hitting a bunch of walk-off home runs, but he's going to hit you a double to the gap and, like, he can still produce runs that way. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. That's I'm glad that you pulled that stat out. I'm, I'm interested to watch now. That yeah. gives me something else to just kind of key into. That is that is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And also interesting, the strikeout rates are almost exactly the same. 22-6 against righties and 23-4, 23-5 with okay. grounding All against, right. against lefties. All right. Interesting. Pay interesting. Pay so, yeah, don't. and also a, a big thing out of this conversation, I guess, don't pay too much attention to that sit against lefties, against mm-hmm. the lefty on opening day. Like you said, I, I like your point about there kind of being already a lot of pressure and hype around that game. Like, don't set them up for failure from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Just give them a little bit and and ease them into it, and you know we'll see. Especially you know they know they know his numbers, they know what the breakdown is. So yeah, we'll start to to watch. You know, all what, right. What lefties does he start against? So moving on, um, we got uh, two other things. I want to talk about Spencer Torkelson, and I literally just put an outline: Is Spencer Torkelson bad or just unlucky? Like that is now the question because now, and I have on um, Savant. He has an EV currently in the 26 pitches that he's seen, um, seven batted balls, and the max EV is uh, 111.7. The average is 91.5, which is um, both of those things are higher than uh, they were last year. Obviously, super duper small sample size, seven batted balls. But um, the uh, XBA last year, 226, this year, 232. His launch angle, again, super small sample size, seven batted balls, but it's negative 13.3. So I'm sure there was like a couple of like major worm it's like a, in there. It's like an 85% ground ball rate. Six out of a seven batted balls have been right, ground so, balls. So it's just like, what? what is what is this guy now? Like, again, yes, I'm taking, you know, last year and then, you know, seven batted balls of this year. But just like, what? I don't, I was never like, super into Torkelson just because his player profile is just not one that I like immediately gravitate towards, but I understood the pedigree. I understood kind of the general hype around him. I'm not saying that he's an actual bust. I just, it was funny for me to take it that way, but you know what? Like Jake, do you have any read on what, what is there an adjustment piece? Is it, is it like a Jared Kulnick? Like he's got to change up his swing three different times before he finds something or, like what's going on here? No, I don't. I don't think that um, you know. There's anything like drastic that he has to do. And um, well, let's see. Because I'm looking at his um, launch angle kind of distributions here. Um, it doesn't hit the ball like last year. At least, at least just looking at last year. It doesn't hit the ball 
on the ground too often. Hits a good amount of fly balls, good amount of line drives. Um, he pulls the ball a little bit more than average. Maybe he goes oppo too much. Um, I wonder what his pulled, it would take too long to pull it up now, but I wonder what his pulled fly balls look like. Um, or like his exit velocity on fly balls that actually might be one that's kind of is easier to pull up here, but like he had a, um, looks like a eight point, eight point something barrel rate last year. Um, I, I think that he is someone who like, it's not that I don't think his year last year was as bad as, as that kind of looks. I think it's someone who, um, I think has a lot of kind of little pieces that he could put together and then kind of take off, you know, um, let's see fly ball exit velocity last year was 89 miles an hour i'm trying to pull up the mlb average i think it's probably like 87 88 um uh, of course the page isn't responding so um that's you know not oh here it is it just popped up now 71st percentile fly ball exit velocity all right um and then 82nd percentile in overall exit velocity um so yeah maybe that's it maybe fly balls aren't um as like as hit as hard or as opportunity to kind of get to that power. Um, I'd also like to see how many of them are pulled, but well, like good. I said, that just take too long. But it's a, it's a great thing that they changed up the fences in uh, Comerica, right? That's another thing. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause like looking at um, his expected home runs by park last year. So he hit eight and Comerica was the expected was eight. And then, but if you look at all the other parks, I think all of them are in double digits except for like Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and that's it. The rest are double digits, um, 12, 12, 13, 12, you know, like, um, so I think the park definitely hurt them a little bit last year. Um, as I'm sure it hurts all the Tigers hitters, man. I mean, it's just brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, moved in the fences a little bit that's, you know, can't hurt him. That's going to be good. Um, I think that, you know, it's, I, it's hard to see something where it's like, Oh, if he just made this one switch, if he just did this one thing, you know, I think, um, I think he's just, he's 22. You know, and he was hit so much hype that it's hard to like live up to that right away. So I'm not written him off yet, but it's also hard to be like, oh, well, he he chased too much or he, um, you know, because he. Oh, yeah, no, he didn't. Oh, God, he didn't chase at all last year. He had a 24 percent chase rate, uh, 82 percent zone contact. Like, where's where's the hole? Right. And so that's and that's my question is like it's 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 two sides of the same coin, right? Because on one side, it goes, well, good, right? Like, he doesn't have any clear hole in his game. He does kind of all the things that you would expect somebody of his talent, you know, caliber, his pedigree to do. Okay, he's covering the zone. He's not chasing. He's lifting the ball enough. He's, you know, he pulls a a little bit, but, you know, he's a left-hand hitter. He's got some bad luck because the ballpark, that's fine. But then it also worries me because it's like, okay, well, we know everything about any athlete, but especially with baseball players, like where do you improve? Where do you get better? We just talked about Josiah Gray and, you know, changing pitch mix, et cetera. And it's like, well, if you don't have a hole, if you don't have an easy thing for somebody to point to, do you not change anything because you don't see a reason to, or do you start changing everything because you're like, I just, I'm throwing everything to against the wall and hoping this sticks. I kind of think that's the Jared Kellenick situation, right? Where it was just like, I don't know. I'm just going to kind of break down everything, my swing, my, my stance, my whole nine because nothing is working for me and now he's kind of in a zone where it's not bad obviously he's a productive mlb he's an everyday starter for you know pretty good team in the mariners but as he's been playing he's nowhere close to like optimizing on the talent that we thought he was going to have 
right? Like the Jared Kelenic that we're getting and the Jared Kelenic that was kind of like promised are vastly different. One is a guy that, you know, you pe- people may have been, um, you know, trying to trade up for. You're, you're, you're like actively going after. And I feel like Torkelson was the same. And another guy, you know, the, the, the Kellenic that we have, and I feel like the way Torkelson is shaping up the Torkelson that we're getting so far, as a guy that's like, he's a good depth piece. Like, he's he's fine, right? <laughs> you know, it's like he's not doing anything terrible for my team, but, like, he's not a guy that I necessarily have to go out and, um, you know, spend a ton, a ton of money on or, you know, really give up a lot of good pieces for um, to get the production that I'm going to get from him. It's it's the name brand, right? It's because he's number one pick or because of this hype. So that's why I'm just fascinated about where it goes with Torkelson and just to continue to watch. And like you said, he's 22, you know, in another month we could be like, oh man, he's, he's on fire. He figured it out. It all clicked into place. So it's all, it's all available, but I just wanted to kind of highlight that even, you know, just to start the season already hitting the ball hard, it's not dropping, you know, what, what's gonna what what's the next step what's the next shoe to fall with him so yeah um, uh quick quick and again yeah, another yeah. split here his home versus away last year um it's almost the exact same plate appearances almost the exact same strikeout rate um only two more homers on the road he hit 157 at comerica mm. and 27 on the road mm. holy cow um and it'll be man, his, his badbook his BABIP was 200 at Comerica. It would be so fascinating if the Tigers could at least say, well, look at, I mean, I know that they were trying to do this drafting wise, but, you know, it'd be so nice that they were able to say, well, yeah, our ballpark, like, hates our hitters. But, like, look at this pitching staff. Look how, it's like, nope, can't do that either. They're just terrible yeah. all the way around. Like, your pitchers that you invested in, they all can't stay healthy. The ones that can't stay healthy actually weren't as good as we thought they were. And your ballpark cannibalizes your hitters and anything yeah. good that they might. Be I wasn't. Playing. I was. Ma- I wasn't um, old enough to to think about baseball critically when they were good last time. I was like ten, um, mm. but I. It's thanks, they had the same ballpark. Yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> they they had the same ballpark when they were throwing out uh, when they were making the World Series and uh, got swept by the Giants. Sorry, guys, but they like they, they had um, the same ballpark. They had the same kind of like challenges and like I, I want to maybe it's like how did they build that roster? You know. I mean, but that's a, if you go back and look, like it kind of surprised people that they got that far. It wasn't that they were terrible, right? They had, uh, I think, they yeah. had uh, Prince Fielder on it. Um, I think that Cabrera Scherzer. That was like right when he kind of broke out, wasn't it? Yeah, Scherzer was just breaking out, um, coming over from uh, the D backs. Yeah, the Fuller random Rick there. Porcello year. Yeah, you right. So I, I think they were good but not i don't i think it would surprise people and and i'll be honest i wasn't thinking uh in this way critically about baseball but i was older than 10 um <laughs> but but yeah i i don't think anybody saw them as a world series team and then when you look at kind of what happened it was like they kind of tried to keep that roster around and replicate it and and chase that success and it didn't really work for them they weren't able to actually iterate and then you know, then they end up kind of cratering out. So, um, yeah, the ballpark definitely has never done them any favors, though. Uh, and and like I was saying, I think they tried to lean into it this time around, these last couple of years with getting the Matt Mannings and the like and saying, you know, oh, we'll have a great pitching staff. And, you know, that at least will help. And that hasn't helped. So, yeah, um, before we sign off, uh, the last thing that we want to call out was just, you know, we talked about the uh, promotion um incentive that that 
has been the prospect promotion incentive that has been um, really boosting teams to bring their guys up and start opening day with these uh, rookies on their team. And I'm just kind of curious, like almost over under, how many more promotions do you think we're going to see Jake before the all-star break? Um, Because you still have guys like Brett Beatty, who he just, he went off uh, in the minors. He had uh, two home runs, a grand slam and another home run, I believe yesterday. Um, so we still had like the Brett Beatty's of the world, Brandon Fox, obviously a lot of guys that you've heard us mention, um, in previous episodes have yet to come up. So yeah, before all-star break, give me a number ballpark it. Are we counting guys who have already debuted like before this year? I'm not. No. So I'm talking about like brand new, I'm talking about brand new guys. Um, I'm, oh man, I don't even, I'm trying to, so I'm looking at the picture list, like top 100 for the dynasty team here. And so far, I've got four guys that I think before um, go opening day. Because, like, Ellie, I feel like Ellie will be up. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah. And um, Alvarez, but he already debuted. I think Manzardo and Mead both make it mm. before the All-Star break. Um, and, oh, man, out of the top 50, maybe, like, seven or eight. I still got to think. Right? I still got to think. Beatty's going to make his debut. Beatty, yeah. Know, so. Where is he on our top one hundred? He's thirty-one. Okay, so yeah, I think he's maybe Beatty's like the five, six. Veen, I feel like Veen. Well, Veen, I'll I say think might be off. Yeah, he'll probably be later in the year. Um, probably have like one or two guys from Baltimore. Um, sure. Yeah, so I'm thinking out of our top one hundred, I'll say, I'll say a dozen. Doesn't sounds good um, because then you always got, you know, guys that are technically rookies that aren't necessarily the, the top, top prospects um, that that always come through and some of them make a make a splash. I think uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to swerve. I'm going to look at a slightly different list here that I've been that I've been relying for some things in the off season um, just to get some more names here. So da-da-da, you talked about Ellie. um Julian and we're Julian. I mean, Grayson is still around, and I I got to tell you guys, uh, Grayson. Grayson Rodriguez got me a little shook. Uh, this is kind of a topic for another, um, another pod. But he had his first start uh, of Triple A season. A lot of people were saying it was raining, this bad conditions. Which I mean, that is true. It was raining, it was bad conditions. But he, it just didn't. I'm I'm starting to be worried about, kind of similar to what we just talked about with Torkelson and and uh, Jarek uh, Kellenick just. The grace and that was promised versus the grace and that we get. I, I'm starting to get a feeling that there's going to be a, a wider gap than what we may have expected. But again, that's for another another podcast. Um, who else do we have here? Uh, you talked about Mazzardo. Uh, Kyle Harrison. I think. Um, I think we'll see him probably before the All Star break because the Giants aren't really that good. Um. Will we see Evan Carter before? Maybe Evan Carter. Uh, yeah, Colton Kowser from the uh, Orioles. I definitely think he's up. Um, Indy Rodriguez. I definitely think we see him before the All Star break. Yeah, that's another one that I would definitely put up there. So yeah, you said a dozen. Thought. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna up you a little bit. I'm gonna say that we're gonna see from top one hundred. And I'm just kind of generally speaking top 100. So MOB, pitcher list, fan grass, whatever top 100 you want to use, just generally speaking. I'm going to say that there's going to be 15 
15 more promotions. And, and I'm talking about guys that have not already made their MOB debut. So brand new rookies. I'm going to say 15 from the top 100. All right. So we'll see. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so continue going through the list here. I think there's there's some interesting names that will come up. Yeah, I think 12 to, 12 to 15 is good. It's kind of a good range. We'll see. Uh, we'll have to come back to that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm putting yeah. it in so we can we can come back to that and see see where we are. Yeah, I hope it's right. more. All right. Um. So that's our overreactions pod. That's our our first pod of the regular season. Um. Actually, did go over um what I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be a little bit shorter, but that's great. More um more talking baseball. So Jake, anything coming up? I know off mic you were saying you had to get some writing done. So what do you got to promote? Yeah, just the uh, the top pitchers to stash articles um, coming out over the weekend. Um, I think it'll be Saturday kind of going forward. And um, so kind of like keeping up to date with what those guys are doing in the minors and um, and kind of like trying to see when we're going to see some results for them for redraft leagues specifically, you know, when they're going to come up and when you can put them on your um, you fathom and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, be talking about those guys uh, from the writing side and then this prospect or this podcast as always prospect podcast um yeah. how, how's your uh how's your nfbc looking um good like how, how are my teams looking yeah yeah, yeah. um no, good, i think good so far um i got like i got five leagues on there well, i guess eight technically with the gladiators so um the, the, the fab is always like something to kind of get it, it was i felt like i wasn't really into like i knew that the season was starting and then all of a sudden i was like oh man i gotta like yeah, I gotta go not, look at all these not, free agents, and I'm like, talking. oh man, I gotta <laughs> gotta put in claims, and I'm like, yeah. how did this happen? Where did this come from? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so I think it just kind of kind of keeping on top of Fab and making sure to to stay up to date. So far, you know, nothing catastrophic has happened. The Luis Arias injury really hurt me. He mm. was um, someone I was kind of targeting kind of later um, because I mean his he I think he was just going to be able to accumulate a lot, um, and then of course the the injury really hurts that possibility. So um, that one hurt, but you know, I think overall and just, you know, it's been a couple days and nothing, nothing panic, no panic yet. Cool. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I'm just in the, I'm just in TGFBI and Razzball or Razzlam, I should say. Um, Razzlam looking real good. Um, third place there so far. So that's a, um, that's a best ball league. So it's kind of in some ways easier to play. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I gotta pick it. I gotta pick up the pace. My offense looks good for TGFBI, but my pitching less so. So I gotta pick up the pace there. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not in last anymore, but I'm, I'm close to it. <laughs> so I gotta pick up the pace there uh, in TGFBI, and then the rest of my teams. Um, most of them are looking. I mean, the ones that I knew were going to be bad, I, I, I picked up some orphan teams, so I knew they were going to be bad. They continue mm-hmm. to be bad. That's fine. Um, but my other teams, they. So far, so good. So we'll see. We'll, we'll yeah, we'll check. check we'll check back. Yeah, check see in. how see how it goes off the rails. <laughs> uh, as always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitcher List pods on the Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F, and you can find me on Twitter at Jake Mash, M A I S H. And with that, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day.